We're going to continue our march through Exodus this morning, this event of the Exodus that really shapes our understanding of redemption and what our God has done in the Lord Jesus. We know by now that the commission of Moses has come to an end. It's time to stop asking questions. Um, Moses is headed back to Egypt and uh, he's taking these definitive steps now in obedience to the Lord's command. And we're going to read uh, from verse 18 to the end of the chapter. This part of the narrative, it moves uh, very, very quickly. Uh, we're going to go from Moses on a mountain to Moses and Aaron back in Egypt with the people believing that the Lord had appeared to him, that the Lord had heard their cries uh, in just this short amount of time. So uh, even though the authorship of Moses wants us to get back to Egypt uh, quickly, uh, there's certainly uh, some important details for us to consider and apply here. So chapter 4, verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart, so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you for your word power, its authority in our lives. I pray now that through the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, that they would be pleasing to you. Uh, Lord, if there is anything that is untrue and unhelpful, that you would block that out of these words, out of our minds, that you would work your truth deep into our hearts. We need you, Holy Spirit, to illumine your word to us, to teach us and to grow us in grace. We trust you to do that now, Lord. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. It's February 25, which means that it is not Father's Day on the calendar. But as I read and I reread these verses in Exodus 4, I think this would make a great Father's Day message. Um, a message to, to encourage, to spur us on as fathers, grandfathers, future fathers. Um, but it's a message we all need to hear. 
because it tells us so much about our Heavenly Father. When I was younger, my dad worked the second shift at Steelcase, and so I would get home from school about 3 o'clock, and he would leave for work about 3.20, 3.30, and then not get home until 2 in the morning. And uh, sometimes I could hear him come in um, through the closing of the doors, and most nights he would open my door and at least you know, peek in and check. Sometimes I would be sleeping, sometimes I'd pretend to be sleeping. Um, but some nights, two in the morning, he would come in and he'd sit by my bed. He'd say, Beej, do you want to get a sandwich? He didn't really shake me, he just said it. I loved this because it was sneaky. It was adventurous. And so I'd get out of bed and we'd get in the car and we'd drive to Burger King and get a Whopper at two in the morning. Um, it was fantastic. And I'm not sure my mom appreciated this as much as I did, because it was typically a school night. Um, but it was just a special time with just, just Dad and me. Um, I can remember one morning we went, we got our sandwich, and I had my eye on this plastic model. And so we went to Meyer and we bought the plastic model and took it home and built it, all before I went back to bed at 6 in the morning. Um, but we hardly saw each other Monday through Friday. You know, he, he wanted to see how I was doing, actually spend some time with me. Uh, there's a special way for my dad to show his, his love. Uh, and it really endeared me to him. I can, I can picture it to this day. Um, what endears us to the living God? Do we see him as one who, who cares about us and wants to spend time with us? One who pursues us, fights for us because we're His, we're His children. And we know from these opening chapters that, that God sees, He knows, He remembers where His people are, what it is they're facing. And so for Him to say that He will act, well, if He's going to deliver, that means it's as good as done. He is and always will be. And he is particularly for his people. So now as Moses makes the journey back to Egypt, we're given a much better understanding of the relationship that God has with Israel, with his people. They're not just any people to him. They're his. He cares for them. He wants to spend time with them. He wants a relationship where they can, can do what he has made them and called them to do. He's going to fight to that end. It's the heartbeat of a father for his children. So we're going to look closer at Moses' actions on this return trip. Moses as father and then gaze in wonder at God the Father. After the Lord tells him you know, to take his staff, Moses head back home to Midian to his wife and the rest of the family. The family of Jethro has been kind to him. Uh, they've really brought Moses into their own family. He's serving as the family shepherd. Um, so there's plenty of responsibility that Moses has as he uh, goes back to Midian here. He's, and it's, it's a responsibility that he's, he's going to have to walk away from in some ways. Um, but he's not trying to sneak away. He's not trying to shun this responsibility. Um, 
And Moses may not need permission, um, but he wants to leave Jethro. He wants to leave the family on, on good terms. Um, he's taking Jethro's daughter and grandsons with him uh, back to Egypt. And it's quite possible that Moses shared more with Jethro than what we read here in verse 19, but he's trying to move this story along. We're not, not given any indication that he's trying to deceive Jethro through these words, but it certainly shows that his, he has a strong connection with the Hebrew people. He's identifying with them. He has concern for them. And we're going to see Moses and Jethro and the rest of the family united in chapter 18. They're united on good terms. Um, think of the courage this would take for Moses. Um, you know, not, not just as a man called of God, but as a father. Um, he has to explain this to his father-in-law, who may or may not fully understand why he's taking his daughter and his grandchildren to Egypt. Um, Moses is moving out. He may not have a full understanding of how this is going to work. But his decision here, it affects the whole family. He takes the lead with the staff of God in his hand. The very presence and the power of God is with him. He didn't need to fear whether those in Egypt who were trying to kill him were around or not. But we see this plan of deliverance is, is underway. The staff of God's power would go before the family into Egypt and it would go with the larger family of Israel out of Egypt. We see the courage of Moses as he shares this plan with Aaron, uh, whom God had also called to a very specific task in verse 27. Their courage to go to the other leaders of Israel with this word. Um, seems that Moses and Aaron make a pretty good team already here from the start. Um, exactly what the Lord told Moses would happen with the elders in chapter 3 and with Aaron in chapter 4, that's all coming to fruition. So all of the fears that Moses had, they, they turn out to be empty fears. It was a little courage to take the staff, start this journey westward. Um, and this will apply to us all under various circumstances. Um, but to you who are fathers, uh, primary leadership responsibilities in the home, uh, how about those difficult decisions that affect the whole family? Um, career changes, a move, maybe you have to reallocate resources a new circle of friends to consider, decisions that may or may not be fully understood by the family or the extended family. I think of the countless examples of those who are called to the mission field and their families respond with, are you crazy? What are you thinking? Look, look at where you're going. Look at what it is you're leaving behind. What will this do to your family? How could you do that to your family? I know some of you are there. You may be there right now. You don't have to move overseas for this to be true. right? Maybe you've made some decisions that affect the, the, the physical and spiritual, emotional well-being of your family that others sort of wrinkle their noses at because they don't fully understand. It takes courage. It takes courage to follow the Lord at all times. But for those who lead others in the family or the church family, you know, it really bears repeating as we look at this. 
How many times would, would Moses and Joshua and David hear those words, be strong and courageous, do not fear? Or the Lord Jesus, the true and better Moses, hearing from his own family, he's out of his mind. The disciples say, no Lord, I know you're the Lord, but it's not going to play out the way you say it is. With courage, Jesus follows the will of the Father, and He follows perfectly. It requires courage in taking the staff of God, confident of His power, confident of His presence, trusting that He's going to provide and that He will supply what is lacking in our own understanding, in our own vision. Because we're abiding in Him, we are trusting in His living Word. Paul would share with the Corinthian church that for those who are called, though it's folly to everyone else, Christ is the very power and wisdom of God. It's that wisdom, it's that power that fuels our courage. If we're not doing that, if we're not walking in stride with the Spirit through prayer and, and worship and time in the Word, we're seeking the counsel of other believers that we trust, then we really do need to consider those courageous decisions, maybe a second, third, or fourth time. We don't want to act rashly or make decisions that will affect others out of our own complacency or apathy or even ignorance of God's Word to us. This takes us back to Moses, his father, because he runs into a very serious problem on the way back to Egypt. It's before he even meets up with Aaron. We have an encounter here between Moses as father and God the Father. And so what we can tell in verses 24 through 26, which really is just plain hard to understand in this context, um, Moses has not fulfilled a very important covenant responsibility. Um, I mean, think, if Moses is going to identify fully with the people of Israel... Certainly, if he's going to lead the people, if he's going to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then Moses must be found in obedience to his covenant obligations. Genesis 17, the, the sign of inclusion among the people of God is circumcision. The instruction from the Lord is that every male would be circumcised, and if they were not, then they had broken covenant. They would be cut off from God's people, the blessing and provision of God, his, his affection for his firstborn. We'll go back to that language. But that's a very big deal. So much so that Moses' life is in danger. Um, there are some uh, commentators here, not the majority, that will actually link the firstborn in verse 23 with the firstborn of Moses that the Lord meets in the wilderness and is under the threat of death. So Moses' life was never in danger, but one of his sons who had not been circumcised would be in danger. And I think there's some merit to this. Moses is never mentioned in these verses. We supply that in the English. So it's very difficult to discern. Um, but it's also the more difficult rendering of this, which is why I lean away from it. Um, Moses was accountable for his family before the Lord. And the life of this courageous father is in danger because one of his sons is not circumcised. And Moses had likely been circumcised, or at least partially circumcised. 
While he was in Egypt, he may have thought that that was sufficient uh, to satisfy this uh, requirement of the covenant. We don't, we don't know. There's a lot of filler here that we don't know. How God sought to kill him or what clued Zipporah in that she should circumcise one of her sons is the blood atonement for Moses. I mean, talk about courage. Um, you know, think of you know, Moses' wife to do what she thought needed to be done in obedience to the Lord at that point in time. It's not the first time a courageous woman has saved Moses' life. Um, I think that holds true, right, fellas? We bear the responsibility and the women keep us alive, right? Um, but I want us to consider one other angle that, that links this episode with the firstborn. God says to Pharaoh through Moses, let my son, my firstborn go, or I'm going to take your firstborn. So Pharaoh is preventing Israel, God's son, from serving the Lord and living in obedience to him, according to his desire. If Moses then is identified with Israel, then then he is part of the firstborn. He's a son. Would God see his firstborn die if he was preventing the right worship and obedience to him? By not having one of his sons circumcised, could it be that Moses is preventing what Pharaoh is preventing? The right worship of God. And if Moses is a firstborn, then his life is in danger. Now that'll hurt your head, but it's it's powerful. The Lord, the the one who is, will stop at nothing to claim his own. That's how dear his children are to him. There's been some controversy around the judging of Olympic figure skating. I know that's probably not surprising. But there's evidence that the judges are, are showing some bias. When you have you know, judges from the same nation as the one who is skating. There's a conflict of interest here. Um, well, the God of Israel is a perfect judge. He shows no partiality or bias in exercising His justice and His mercy. This text reinforces this. But He has a deep affection for His chosen people. He's looking out for them. He fights for them. He will deliver them because they are His own, His firstborn. So for Moses to honor the Lord, to obey his Father, meant fulfilling his covenant obligations. And we all have this responsibility in relationship to our Father. Again, I'm looking more at you men, fathers, leaders. We are accountable to God for the, the protection and for the care of our families. For spiritual direction. Seeing that there is every opportunity for covenant obedience. Are we willing to comply fully with the Lord's instruction? Are we aware? Are we putting ourselves in the context so that we can comply fully with the word of the Lord. This is something that can't be half-hearted. Think of the attacks of the world, the flesh, the devil that are relentless trying to take down our family, take down the church family. So it's with that helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the very the very sword of the Spirit, 
in our hand that we take the lead in this battle. Now there's something else that I need to hear. I want you to hear along with me that stems from this text. Um, This responsibility should not be relegated to the more spiritually mature women in our lives. Um, And that is, I know I'm generalizing a little bit here, but that is more often the case in our families, in the church family. It's the women who are more in tune with their own hearts and the heart of the Father towards them. Um, And man, this is a great grace to us. A tremendous gift when it is given. We share the responsibility of abiding in Christ, walking stride with the Spirit. We have different roles in the family, in the church family. Zipporah acts courageously here, but it wasn't her responsibility. Today we're closing out those nominations for officers in the church. But when we nominate offices of elder and deacon, we're only nominating qualified men for these positions. And that's not because we have some distorted authoritarian view of submission. Or we think that the precious women and ladies in our church are less valuable or even less capable. Let me tell you, there's some very capable leaders and teachers and shepherds in the church at large and this church in particular. That's a gift of God. And if we're not already... We should be on our faces in gratitude to God, looking for every opportunity to encourage these gifts and building up the church. But according to God's good design for the family, His good design for the church, grounded in the creation ordinance of the Old Testament and and affirmed in the formation of the New Testament church, these roles of elder and deacon are not for the ladies. So guys, when it comes to the spiritual health of your family, When it comes to spiritual health of this church, the Lord is coming to us first. So fathers, grandfathers, potential fathers, are you spending the time in prayer so that you can lead your family in prayer, so that they know how important it is? Are you spending that time in God's Word so that you can lead your family in the study of God's Word? Does fellowship and accountability within the body of Christ, is that demonstrated so that it's important. Family sees it's important. So we learn that the signs given to Moses were to be for Israel, but also for the Egyptians. Given to Pharaoh that he too would believe, release the people. He won't do this. He won't release the people of Israel until the exact time that God has established. And now we're going to spend some more time on the hardening of Pharaoh's heart as we go along. Uh, But it's a clear testament of God's sovereignty. Um, We read of this hardening three different ways in Exodus. God hardening Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh hardening his own heart, or simply his heart was hardened and we don't know. Um, But Pharaoh would respond exactly how the Lord wants him to respond. So if anything, this language, it only underscores the complete control that God has over this entire Exodus event. The deliverance of Israel. God is, is the author and the director. If you use another picture, this great play, he is, he is the director, he is the author, but he's also the primary character. 
as the drama unfolds, I really appreciate how one commentator states this. Um, Even when Pharaoh takes the stage, God gets all the applause. So think about that in relation to that hardening language. Um, He's mighty to save. He'll do what only His mighty hand can do in delivering His people, His firstborn. This is where I really want to get back to that language. God's Son is dear to Him. And if Pharaoh will not let Israel go, then God is going to strike at what will touch Pharaoh's heart the most. This is the heartbeat of the Exodus. A father's love, a love that fights for his son. Pharaoh's preventing God's children from worshiping and serving their heavenly Father. He's he's their true master, not Pharaoh. And so God the Father enjoys time with His children and worship, obedience, admiration of His children. And He's saved to that end. Professor John Fountain teaches at the University of Illinois, also contributes to the New York Times. He shared this as part of his testimony public radio. He says, I believe in God, not that cosmic, intangible spirit in the sky that Mama told me as a little boy always was and always will be, but the God who embraced me when Daddy disappeared from our lives. From my life at age four, the night police led him down the stairs away from our front door in handcuffs. The God who warmed me when we could see our breath outside our freezing apartment, when the gas was disconnected in the dead of another wind-whipped Chicago winter, There was no food, little hope, and no hot water. I believe in God, the God who I have come to know as Father, as Daddy. It wasn't until many years later, standing over my father's grave for a conversation long overdue, that my tears flowed. I told him about the man I had become. I told him about how much I wished he had been in my life. And I realized fully that in his absence, I had found another. Or that He, God the Father, God my Father, had found me. Many of us have known the loving embrace of an earthly father. But some of us have not. There are some of us who are, dare say, even repulsed when we hear that language. Because all we've known is a father who was absent. And you can be absent outside or inside the home. Or a father who was abusive when he was present. Maybe you've never known a father who will fight for you. Be that place of refuge for his children. We need to be sensitive to that. It's going to, it's going to take longer, much longer, uh, for those who've really seen the ugly face of sin in their fathers. Um, but I want to encourage you in this way. I want to encourage all of us in this way. We are made in the image of God, not the other way around. When we project our experiences as fathers or with a father unto God, then we've turned it upside down and made God in our image. You need to know what a good father looks like. What a perfect father. Then look to God. Look to Look to Him to calibrate your understanding of fatherhood. There is no limit to what God has done to bring you home. That's what we have pictured here. Moses on his, on his journey back to Egypt. 
God really uses this encounter to show the very basic requirements of salvation. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, as the author of the Hebrews. So Moses has seen firsthand that the wages of covenant breaking, the wages of sin, is death. But this death is, is turned aside by the shedding of blood. Moses' son, represented here through the circumcision, was the substitute that saves Moses' life. The only way to be saved from God's wrath is through the shedding of blood. The atonement, this atonement of blood is accomplished fully through the sacrifice of Christ. God sent His only begotten Son. Jesus was everything that God ever wanted or needed in a Son. He worshipped and He served His Father with complete devotion. I'm referring to, to Joseph and Mary and Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, uses these words of the prophet Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. So Jesus is the son. And the life of Jesus is, is the new exodus, the exodus of the true and faithful Israelite. And this son would die. And Paul would later write to the Romans, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His blood, the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice to be received by faith. Now all those who come to Christ by faith are true children of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, says John. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The Exodus really shows us the fatherly heart of God. And we're not sure if the Lord sees Moses as the firstborn in verse 24. But we are sure that God the Father ordains the death of His only begotten Son so that the rest of His children, the rest of the family, could freely worship, freely serve Him. And that's the point, right? That's that's the goal, to worship God and give Him glory. We are saved to serve. That's what we see happening here. Every, every Every time we gather for corporate worship on a morning like this is, It's a picture, it's a microcosm of what life is all about. Worship. Praising our God. Running back to Him when we have failed. Feeling His embrace of of love. Accepting us and then sending us with the confidence of His forgiveness. Hope of His presence. That's God the Father. That is the one that we adore. Prophet Malachi reminds the people of this. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you. He is our father and we serve him as our beloved, as his beloved children. So this should encourage us when we do break covenant, when we do sin. There should be a, a healthy guilt that comes with our sin. That is a gift of the Spirit. But as children of God, we shouldn't be paralyzed by this guilt. It shouldn't hang out long because we are part of the family. We have an elder brother in this family who has obeyed perfectly on our behalf. And he's not you know, on the other side of town or living on the other part of the state. We're, we're bound to him by faith. So when we fall in sin again, we look to his obedience again. 
And we look to his shed blood that covers our guilt and our shame again. We'll do this multiple times daily, maybe hourly. Lord Jesus, you are the perfect firstborn. I need you. I need your strength in my weakness. I need your ability in my inability. Your love is better than life, certainly better than the sin I'm entertaining. Think what freedom that brings, what liberty to the children of God. So my dad, he showed me love in a very unique way. Burger King Whopper at two in the morning. You want to spend time with me? God has shown his love for us in the Lord Jesus. He delights in us. He wants to, to be with us and receive our worship, not just for a couple of hours, but for all eternity. Do you know the love of the Father? Not just any father, but the Father who has given his Son, that you could be called a son, that you could be called a daughter. He's visited us in Christ. That's his heart. His heart beats for you. Will you run and worship him? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your covenant love. We approach you as as Lord, the sovereign creator. But it's in our elder brother that we call you Father. Lord, we're overwhelmed by your mercy, by your love for us, that you would stop at nothing to come to our rescue. Lord, grow this tenderness in your heart and the heart of your people. We might look to you, lean into you, and trust you as the one who knows what is best as our perfect Heavenly Father. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.